Wow. What a lovely welcome we've had this morning. Thank you so much. And uh, Julie was saying about holding various people responsible for her calling and her stepping out into whole new paths and challenging things. And I have to say that there's far too many of you here to mention that have to be held directly responsible for what's been happening to Phil and I and uh, certainly our call and uh, um, stepping out into ministry, which has taken no one more surprised than me. I'm astonished to find myself here, but here we are, and thank you for making it possible. Burlington, under the leadership of Simon, has certainly you've been used by God to directly to make that happen, and we're just so privileged. Thank you, and it's great to be here with you today. Um, this series, Big Truths About God, oh, preachers, you know, quake at such things, such titles. And of the series as a whole, I wondered how Simon came to choose this one for me. (laughs) The doctrine of the Holy Spirit, he said casually in an email. Just pick that one up, will you, Hev? Um, Well, (laughs) it was all why I thought, and you know, there's all sorts of things in this uh, series, isn't there? Providence, creation, incarnation, all these massive topics you're doing. All of them, I suggest... A doddle in comparison to this one. (laughs) In the uh, South Yorkshire Dales, there's uh, an abbey called Fountains Abbey. It's where monks have worshipped for many hundreds of years. And there's an ancient chapter house there. And in the guidebook that refers to this chapter house and the activities there over the years, it says this. It says... Here, the monks of Fountains Abbey would gather every Sunday to hear a sermon from the abbot. Except Trinity Sunday, owing to the difficulty of the subject. (laughs) And I noticed that on, on Burlington's website, Simon says of this series, this sermon series, we're going to explore the big truths about God that the Bible presents. In exploring what they are and seeing how they all fit together, we can shake off any illusions, misunderstandings and errors concerning the way we have thought about God, our lives and this world. So in short, we're going to get all these big deals sorted. No pressure then. Welcome back, Hev. Bishop J.A.T. Robinson, who was a prolific writer and theologian, owned up to how he felt about the subject when he admitted that although his health was remarkably good, Trinity Sunday was the day every year that he regularly threw a sickie. (laughs) This was because, and this is what he said, he had no idea what to say. So, Simon may not have pulled a sickie, he's here, but, you know, I'd like to suggest he's done the next best thing. My friend and work colleague, Cynthia, uh, has a very interesting and exciting hobby. She goes on holidays all over the world, deep sea diving. And when she comes back, you know, the stuff with the oxygen tank on her back and all this, and they have some fantastic photographic equipment in their family. And when she comes back, she shows us, or she did when I worked at Endeavour House, I remember that a long time ago, Um, she used to show us all these beautiful pictures of the, the coral reef, snapshots of astonishing beauty. Fish were bright colours and intricate design and it was just really beautiful. But of course they were only snapshots and even if I'd taken all of her uh, holiday pictures and stuck them all together and tried to make something of it, I still would have only had a snapshot, a tiny glimpse 
of the whole of the coral reef. And that's all I can offer you this morning. I can't come anywhere near giving you a picture of the Trinity. I can only offer you just glimpses of what it means for us. And I'm going to do this by asking a couple of of simple questions. Um, What kind of God, what kind of God is it that we worship? What kind of God is a Trinitarian God? And so what? What does it mean to us and our lives today? But see, I, you know, I came up with these easier questions and still I found that I had to get on to the Trinity and I had to talk about what it means. So I thought, I know, I'll get some really straightforward basic illustrations that simplify it for us, like the children's talk. Like a children's talk for adults, I thought, um, and I'd even bring some props along with me. That's what I thought. First idea, I'd bring an egg. It's a pretty neat uh, illustration for three in one, don't you think? Shell, white, yolk, three in one egg. I thought that'll sort us out. We'll understand the Trinity with that. And how about this? The doctrine of the doctrine of the Trinity is like a man who has three roles: father, son, and husband. Three roles, one man. That'll do it. The do- or the doctrine of the Trinity is like water: three forms: ice cream, ice. Ice cream, that's me, just a bit of me slipping out. Ice, (laughs) steam, and liquid. One substance, yeah? See, we're getting there, aren't we? We're really understanding it now. Um, My favourite illustration I came across, and I remember I'd got these props, um, was the uh, the Quality Street. You know the big purple... You used to to only get them little, small ones in Quality Street tins. The ones in the purple wrappers, where you've got the chocolate, the caramel and the hazelnuts together in one chocolate. That was my favourite briefly, and I was thinking of bringing it to show you, but then I ate it. (laughs) So the plan was to make the truths of the Trinity accessible to us all by illustration. Then came an email into into my inbox from our revered and knowledgeable director of music, Andrew Gosden, who was trying to be helpful. It said something like, um, I saw this uh, paper, Heather, and I thought of your forthcoming sermon on the Trinity. Um, You know, he's a nice guy, isn't he? He does try to be helpful. Um, And it was good stuff, good solid theological stuff, as you'd expect from Andrew. It was written by Michael Patton, and um, it was really helpful, except that it was entitled something like, The Holy Trinity, like... A sure, three-in-one shampoo and other stupid stories. <laughs> you can see where I'm going, can't you? This wasn't going to be helpful at all. So, it was pointing out that all of these illustrations are actually heretical, unhelpful, and anyone that was sought to use them in any serious setting should be shot. <laughs> this wasn't really helping. But of course the truth is that these illustrations can't go anywhere towards the truth. It is so easy to slip into a view that we can grasp what what it says, that we can grasp that God is one who shows himself in different ways. We might think that God is one God but shows himself in different ways. Sometimes as a father, sometimes as a spirit, and sometimes as the son. We we might think that when he was saving us on the cross, he was called Jesus. 
When he was convicting the world of sin, he was called the Holy Spirit. And when he was creating the world, he was called God the Father. This approach is known as modalism, but it's not what we believe. It's not what the Bible says. Our God is not one God with three names, but one God in three persons. So, out goes the Trinity is like water illustration. Sometimes it's water, sometimes it's ice, sometimes it's steam. It doesn't work. God is not sometimes Father, sometimes Son, sometimes Holy Spirit. He is eternally and always the same. Or we might try and understand the Trinity by saying that we have three gods who are similar in nature, but not exactly the same nature. This is known as tritheism, and it is not true. The Bible, as we will see, does not speak of three persons of God who share a species called God, but three persons who share in an identical, united nature. nature. So, out goes the egg illustration, doesn't it? Because while the egg is one, each of the substances that make up the parts of the egg, the shell, the white, the yolk, are distinct. The yolk is completely separate in nature from the shell. So it falls down. How about the Trinity is a man who is is like a man who is simultaneously father, son, and husband? But again, this is a false understanding because father, husband, and son only describes various functions of one person. Each person cannot exist in simultaneous relationships with each other, can't talk to each other, and cannot be in relationship with each other. So that doesn't work either. See, it's not getting any easier, is it? Um, Here's the puzzle we saw earlier. And it says in the Athanasian Creed of about AD 500, it sums up the doctrine of the Trinity like this. There is Father God, there is God, there is the Son of God, and the Holy Ghost is God. I'm going to start that again. See, even when it's before me, I can't read it. It says, the doctrine of the Trinity is like this, that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. So, what kind of God? Well, the Bible is very clear that we do have one God only. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. It is very clear. It's not, uh, it's not, it's, it's just plain as the nose on your face. So there is one God, and yet he's plural. Uh, we see in Genesis uh, 3 here, it says, um, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and so it goes on. Man has become like one of us. He refers to himself as plural. One God, but plural. And again, and there are lots of examples. I've just picked out a couple. In Isaiah, who will go for us? It's very clear. God is one God, and yet he's plural. Still, hold tight, there's more. As if that wasn't confusing enough. What kind of God? Um, God is spirit. Um, in, 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 in Psalm 139, and we know it well, it says, Where can I go from your spirit, O God? So he's spirit, and yet, at the same time, he's man. 
In John we read, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Sometimes I think we're in danger of thinking that this Trinity thing is a New Testament thing. That it's, you know, something that happened later on. That in the Old Testament, God was one. And then in New Testament, he suddenly became more complicated. But that's not right either. Right at the beginning, God was a Trinitarian God. And in Genesis, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the spirit was involved right at the start at creation. He's not someone that turned up when Jesus came on the scene. And similarly, we read in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made or has been made. So Jesus was also with God at creation. Through him, all things are made. Simple, isn't it? This might help. This is the shield of the Trinity, used for hundreds of years to show the nature um, of the Trinity. It's derived again from the Athanasian Creed, which the uh, very early church used as liturgy, because they knew then how important Trinity was. The Latin associated with this shield says this, The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. So, that's it then. Easy. But what I would say is, there are some things we do know. We can't understand God. I think it was Augustine that said, if you think you can understand it, then it's not God. But in summary, there are three things we do know about God from the Bible. Um, And that is this. Um, What kind of God, in answer to our question? God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. And that's as far as I'm going to go on what kind of God have we got. I'm going to move on now to our second question, which is, uh, so what? What does all this matter? If it's so difficult, why don't we just ignore it and get on with the stuff that we do understand? Well, it's not an option because as we see here in Genesis, we are made in God's image. Those of us who, um, who seek to, to, to live a Christian life need to reflect him in the way that we live and the people that we are. And if we are going to live as God intended, we will reflect his nature. And I'm going to re- suggest three ways briefly, that we might do that. We have a Trinitarian God. So what? What difference does it make to the people we are and the lives that we leave? I'm going to uh, look at three areas 
that it might affect us. One is that we expect, we need to be in, in, have an expectation of living in relationship with the living God. Relationship is the essence of God. It's what he's all about. It's at the very heart of him. It's how he functions. Secondly, I'm going to say it will affect the way we relate to each other because of that essence of relationship and the way in which we act. Because if love is at our core, relationship is our core, it will make a difference to the people we are and the things that we do. So, when, then so what? The first thing is that we expect. We should be people of expectation. Um, and this is the most important thing out of what, everything I'm going to say about our, the rest of the things flow from. In Romans 8, 14 and so on, it says... Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to, again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we can expect to live in relationship with the living God on a day-to-day basis to know him actively working in our lives, interacting with us two-way, changing us into the people he wants us to be. But do we? Do we live with an expectation of meeting God in that way, of knowing him in that way, of having a dynamic relationship with him? Do we? Well, it made, made me think about myself. Last Monday evening, I was driving uh, to, from Cambridge to London on the M11. I love going to Spurgeons, but the travelling is a bit of a nightmare often. The road was clear, the traffic was flowing. What a relief. This was how driving, motorway driving, is meant to be, I thought. But then I noticed that there were signs of trouble ahead. There were signs appearing on the side of the motorway and on the overhead gantries. It said there'd been an accident ahead between junction six and seven, long delays. But you know, where I was, where I was driving, it was very comfortable. I had the music playing, there was hardly any traffic. I was cruising down the motorway. I thought this is going to be easy tonight, getting to Spurgeons. I was very confident. And, you know, I wasn't far from Junction 7 and there was absolutely no sign of trouble. So I thought, oh, these signs are out of date. They don't apply to me. That's what I thought. They must have been put up earlier. The signs began to get bigger and more impressive. Big neon flashing lights on the side of the road. I don't know if you've seen any of these signs. I was astonished. Now they have great big neon signs with pictures of cars upturned and pictures of cars being towed away by tipper trucks, just in case you don't get the message that there's a problem ahead. You know, it's astonishing, these signs, where I was really impressed. But still I thought, oh, there's no sign of trouble. They're not meant for me. They're meant for other people who came earlier. As I approached Junction 7, I noticed on the side, there was a way off, there was an option to go off to Chelmsford on the A4, what is it, the A414, I think it is. You can nip across to Chelmsford and uh, down to Brentwood and onto the M25 and that would have completely, I would have missed all this threatened uh, delay and I could have nipped out that way and um, missed it all had I thought there was a problem. But no, I was so confident. I thought, no, this is it. This is motorway driving as it's meant to be. These signs, these indications aren't meant for me. When I'd gone past that 
of that, the last route out, I hit the queue. Junction 7 was exactly right. Everything that had been said on those signs was true. I just thought they weren't for me. And as I sat in the back of this queue, I started thinking about today in this sermon. Because you know when you're in a really bad jam, don't you, when people start switching their engines? We've been part of this fellowship for a long time. And it's, and it's been great. And I, but, you know, I sat in, that, in those pews where you are now for 20 years not reading the signs. Because actually, I sat there with excellent teaching, first from Martin Travers and then from Simon, that said things about, if you want to really know God, this is what you need to do. If you want to really experience God, come into his arms, let him in. If you really want to know a dynamic living relationship with God, this is what you need to do. It was great teaching. I just thought it wasn't for me. I thought it was for somebody else. I remember, as if it was yesterday, saying to Simon, um, I'd have no problem believing that other people experience the Holy Spirit working in their lives. I can see it, but it will never happen to me. Those signs are for other people, not for me. How wrong I was. It was only when I started taking notice of what was being said from this place, of hearing about what God's love could really mean, about really understanding what it is to be in a dynamic, living relationship with God every day. So you hear him speak. So you want to read his word, so that you want to pray for, with him, you, to him and you want to worship him. It was only when I let God in to those parts of me which I kept to myself, which I'd hidden away and said, no, I'm all right. It's only other people that need to deal with that stuff that I came into a living relationship that has changed my life completely. So I sat there for 20 20 years and ignored the signs. I wonder if that resonates with anybody else. If anybody else sits there and thinks that all this dynamic relationship with the living God changing lives is for everybody else and not for me. Or maybe it was just me. Maybe it was just me. So what else? We should live in expectation of a real relationship with God. And we should, it should affect the way we are with each other, with the way we relate to each other. Relating to each other is, and to God is what we're made for. It's part of our DNA. In um, John 14, 15 and 16, before the crucifixion, Jesus talks about what it's going to be like for his disciples after he's gone. And for us who will come later. He talks about us specifically, you and me. It's great, isn't it? Jesus actually had us in mind when he prayed this prayer. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also, that's the disciples who who was going to leave when he was crucified. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. So when Jesus prayed for us, he didn't pray for our health or our wealth or our comfort, or even for the success of our good works that he was preparing in advance for us to do. Or even for the success of mission, dare I say it. His prayer is specifically for our relationship with God himself and then with each other. His prayer goes on. He says, 
Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So Jesus' prayer for us, you and me, when he was thinking about what it would be like for us, was about us getting on together, our relationships together and with him. It really matters. Relationship was at the top of the agenda for Jesus and we have to do the same if we're serious about our faith. But, you know, relationships between ourselves is not easy. I'm not talking about a wishy-washy kind of you-look-nice-today kind of relationship. I'm not talking about that, oh, I'm fine, how are you type encounter. I'm talking about tough messages and honesty to help each other to become the people that God intended us to be. It's hard, and I guess that's why Jesus himself prayed specifically for us in this area. Um, we relate, and um, in, in John 13 it says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So it is a par- powerful part of mission. I was a little bit afraid that Julie was going to get up and shoot me when I said that, that what Jesus prayed about was relationship. Not, not, and only, but then he goes on to talk about mission and he says, it's because of your love for each other that others will see you in me. We're not always going to get on together. We won't always agree. We won't always like each other. But we must always honour each other. It's tough stuff which faces up to reality, helping each other face up to our need for God's changing power, helping each other to see what God might want us to do, what he wants to do with us, and supporting each other through it. It's about being close up, doing life together, being close enough to see the blemishes, and then helping each other to work through those blemishes. That's what's happened to me. That's how I've come to be, to be standing here and, and called into ministry. It's because uh, somehow God gave me the strength to face up to some of that pain and hurt in me that needed to come out because people were willing to challenge me and not give me an easy ride and say, oh, that's all right, Hev. Forget it. No, we need to challenge. We need to be close enough to see the blemishes and to help each other to deal with them. And of course, one of the best ways to develop these relationships is in small groups um, where we can listen and challenge and protect each other and support each other, giving each other the benefit of the doubt and helping each other through difficult and happy times with support. God has no favourites. He wants us all to work together. We're made in his image, called to love God and each other. And if we shut ourselves away and think we don't need to be in a small group or we don't need to relate to others, we're kidding ourselves and we're missing out.
Okay, just finally. So what? what? So what? We have a Trinitarian God. We act. We do what we see the Father doing. In John 5 it says, Jesus gave them his answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does. Thirdly then, so what? Thirdly, we act. If we reflect the Trinity, love is at the centre of everything we do. Reflecting the nature of the Trinitarian God so that we will be moved into action. And as our relationship develops uh, in his, and, and becomes more sacrificial in his service, we will get to know him more as we get on board with what God is doing. Yesterday, I was at the launch with Phil of the Talithacoom project at White House Farm at Whitnesham. And Jonathan is on the, on the board of that. And it's a project to help rehabilitation of women who, are, who have had a drug habit and uh, many of whom will have been involved in prostitution. Um, it's a great vision and it's really coming to fruition now. The only reason really that that's happening is because, so one of the reasons is because Liz Beaton, who many of you will know, had a vision several years ago that, God, that, that this is what God wanted to do, that this is what God was doing. She didn't sit at home and think, now what would be a really good thing to do? What would God be pleased with? And invent something. No, she heard God speaking to her because she had a dynamic living relationship with him and, and he said, I want to build this rehabilitation uh, place out at, well, she didn't know where at the time, but somewhere here. And slowly over the years, God has revealed more and more to him. And what Liz and others, including Jonathan, have done, have got on board with what God is doing. And as we get to know God more and as we listen to him, as we're in touch with him, we will know what he's doing. Let's get on board with that. That's where we're going to make the most difference. Let's not just to try and do good things and ask God to bless what we're doing. Let's get on board with what he is doing and joining in the blessing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we need to analyse, overanalyze everything we're going to do. You know, oh, what, where shall I go today? Shall I go to church or not? Shall I join a small group? No, no, no. Some things are just obvious. We know what the right thing is to do. But in the bigger things of life, let's get on board with what God is doing. What kind of God? So what? In conclusion, then, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, together loving each other. I'm going to say that again because it's pretty central to all I've said today. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, loving each other. And we need to reflect that. Relationship is the essence of God himself. And my challenge to you and to me today is how will we respond to the relational God? In developing our relationships with him, raising our expectations, expecting more of him. Because however well you, you, know, you think you know, you know God and experience him, there is always more. There is always more until we get to be with him. In relating to others, let's take the risk of getting closer to people and sharing our hearts and theirs. And in action, in sharing the truth with others so that their lives may be changed too. What is God doing? And where can we join in? We're going to sing 
together now. We're going to sing, Who is There Like You? And as we do, let's invite God to set us free from low expectations and allow his power to be at work in us, to change us, to enable us to reflect the Trinity in our personal Christian life and in our life with each other. <laughs> 